With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Here we go. Late night edition of Offside Hockey Talk. And that's okay because we have a special guest with us. You may have seen his tweets online. Breaking one down today with the Evander Kane rumor that's out there about the broken ribs is none other than Dr. Harjaz Graywall. How's it going tonight, my friend? Oh, it's going great. Thank you for having me, guys. And uh, yeah, my uh, West Coast time change has kept you up a little later than normal, I'm sure. It's not that bad. It's maybe a little bad for James here. It's only 9.30 in Ontario, so we're, we're, we're doing great tonight. Right, oh right. well, thanks, Pete. No, and it's no problem to me. Just an hour later, no than you. it's all right. <laughs> yeah, you just just slug down another monster or coffee. You you got to. No, I didn't get any of those. Leafs OTs like this time, no? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much an end of a game right now, and this would be the point of the time where I'm kind of like groggy headed and ready to go. Also, have a five year old and a ten year old, so getting up with them for school early, getting things on the go. But before we jump into everything, ladies and gentlemen, we obviously have to pay respects to the sponsor of the show. That's Boxing Rock Brewing Co.'s Puck Off Lagerdale, the big beer for the big game. Be sure to check it out when you're out east. And, of course, we want to talk to this gentleman about how did this all start? What made you want to make tweets about injuries and players and kind of give your breakdown? Because I've read a lot of your tweets going in-depth about things, and it's really interesting to read. But I want to know what got you there. Was it friends asking you? Was it people giving misinformation online? What was it for you that wanted I you to order that? From those jerseys behind him right there. You want to explain? Yeah, hey, look at Nazi there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it was actually just because every injury report was like upper body injury, lower body injury. There was nothing out there. And mm. uh, I follow a lot of sports. I'm a big sports geek. So, you know, you get like great information from the NFL, NBA, European soccer, etc. And I was like, this sucks. And there's this other guy, his name's Dr. David Chow. He used to be the San Diego Chargers doc. He does it for football um, because football's so intense, they can't wait the 24 hours for the full information. And so I was like, oh, like, like, you know, and then as I gathered my medical information, I was like, there's an appetite for this. I was like, I can clearly tell on some of these what the injury probably is. I was like, why don't I just put it out in the universe and see if anybody cares? Um, and then the other caveat was I had to move to Winnipeg for training and I'm a West coast guy. So I didn't really have any connections out there. I was kind of bored, uh, looking for something to do in my free time. So kind of meshed the two things and, uh, uh, I caught more steam than I thought it would, to be honest. Do you get recognized by like, do NHL teams come to you? Do they message you be like, Hey, don't tweet that. Or like, do they ask for a second opinion or anything like that? No, nothing like that yet. Just, uh, Not yet. Just- some bigger media names have slid into my DMs um, just because they'll hear like unconfirmed things and ask me if I think that could be legitimate or not. 
um that's probably the most notoriety and then my patients google me so so they might <laughs> when i see them that's so, awesome that's about it yeah so, like you're a your family doctor your your twitter bio says so they'll google yeah. you see you're a big hockey guy yeah yeah no i'm uh, just a straight old plain family doctor in my in my day-to-day life for the most part so that's awesome yeah. But see, now you get to say that you do play a doctor in real life, not just one on TV. I know. You get I get to do the reverse. Both. Yeah, I get to do both. Yeah. So do you got people coming up to you? Obviously, fantasy is starting to catch fire with hockey more so. Uh, fantasy football, obviously, is one of the biggest ones. But with fantasy hockey now, do you have patients or anyone just coming to you and saying, hey, I'm thinking of picking up X, you know, who's near the end of an injury or going into an injury? What do you think? Do you get some of those kind of things coming up? Yeah, I actually think I get the most in like the off season or right before the season starts. I think there's like dynasty leagues and draft prep and all that. And there's so much like, when do you think so-and-so is going to be back? Like I got so many questions about Marshawn. They're like, when's Marshawn going to be back? Um, So I get it from a few friends and like the people who I know well, like they'll extend further. Like people play MLB fantasy and they're like, man, I know, like, can you just look this up? I don't even know who this picture is. And they'll ask me for that. So, yeah, it, it, I think fantasy can be a big one. Um, even some of the day-to-day stuff, like I don't do much DFS, but obviously people who do that sometimes want to know if I think someone's playing that night, um, which is harder to sort of tease into. Now, for you, when you're looking at these injuries when they come up, um, do people send you clips or do you go search them out? Obviously, there's not a huge amount of injuries every single night within the NHL, but there there are probably maybe four or five instances where a guy catches a puck or a stick or an awkward hit and does leave the game for a moment and comes back. Um, I remember, I think it was the, the Philadelphia Flyer one uh, from, I think, yesterday, where you talked about the separated shoulder. Uh, if that's what it is, it could be, you know, a long-term out. And we think about in Leafs Nation, Philip Crawl. Um, you know, where his shoulder went out and obviously he's been out for almost, what, seven months now and still really hasn't uh, made any impact on the Marlies or the Leafs. Um, so where does that come from for you? Is it you see an injury, you break it down, you try to find as many camera angles, or is it just when people start feeding you information, you go look for it? I, I guess it's sort of, I don't know, it's a multitude of factors. One is probably like how much time I have. And then two is how much is actually available out there. So I do find like Saturdays on the national broadcast, at least on the Canada side of things, there's always like way more angles, way more coverage. I'm not working Saturday. So I seem to find like get more angles. But for the most part, what I do is I I have a few people I follow on Twitter. I also use things like Rotowire and just see the reports of who's getting injured. And then I just I will just search their name on Twitter, search online, see if I can find clips. Um, and then sometimes some fans beat me to it and they just send me the clip like within two, three minutes. And sometimes the player's back for the next period. Like they send it for me pretty immediately. So I, when it started, I had to do all of it myself. I do less and less myself and I'm slowly getting more and more people who send me clips, which is nice. That's awesome. What, uh, can you tell us like, what are some of the biggest uh, injuries that you've nailed where it's like, I guess you, you called it from watching a clip. And then they announced it maybe a week later to what that injury might have been. Did you have any at the at the top of your head here? Yeah, well, I guess the first one that was kind of big for me was um, Mitch Marner's high ankle sprain in uh, 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I was like, you know what, like this one looks pretty bad. I was like, it's probably a higher grade. It's probably six weeks. And the Leafs are one of those rare teams that actually gives pretty good injury info. So they were just like, yeah, ankle sprain six weeks. And then it was also, I only remember that specifically because one guy was like, 
man, what are you talking about? And then the next day he was like, I actually have to apologize, which you never see online, right? He was like, hey, you're actually right. So that was that was a big one. I think that was accurate. Um, the Evander Kane one was really popular with uh, with the slice. Um, oh, just, right. Um, and and with McKayev had a similar injury. And, and I'll be honest, like I I went to a Canadian medical school. Like the government's not invested in teaching you on sports injuries, right? The analyzing video, so it's sort of self taught. Um, and I do spend a lot of time going backwards. Like if I don't know what something is and they release info. So they released all the McKayev stuff. And then I saw Vander Kane's injury. I was like, that's pretty much the same thing. Like three months, like nerves, tendons, um, and blood vessels. And then that was what it was. Ended up being three months. So those have been two of the main ones, I would say. Now, I look at it like this with injuries and stuff like that. There's guys that can play through certain things. Uh, you look at Patrice Bergeron, for instance, punctured lung. Uh, last year during the playoffs, it was Kucherov who played with the broken ribs, um, you know, and I'm wondering how do guys deal with that? What would go into a player being able to play with that kind of injury? Is it freezing? Is it wraps? Is it things done between periods? How do guys be able to, to come back from stuff that would probably keep me, you and Pete on the couch for multiple weeks without moving? It, it, it honestly comes down to the injury. I think in a general sense, the great thing now is that there's good technology. So you can have like ultrasound there. You can put a needle right where you want it to be. And then you can freeze the area. And then you can also repeatedly do that if it starts wearing off. Um, so that's one big factor. Like that's what Kucherov had done. They actually didn't even like trust whoever it was. He used to fly back home uh, and still get them done. Uh, the injections for, for his broken ribs. So most of it, I would say, is injection-based. I know there's been a lot of talk about, like, oral painkillers and things like that. I think Request had had a good piece on it. Um, there's still a component of that, like, like, we have to be honest. There's going to be some use of those type of medications as well. But I do think that there's a lot more focused injections. And then the rest of the medical staff, so your athletic therapists, are going to be really good at taping and supporting. And then the last thing is probably, like, extra equipment. So in hockey, we can't see it. But, um, you know, sometimes in football and basketball or soccer, you can see guys are wearing harnesses after they've dislocated shoulders. Um, you can see guys with like braces on on various areas. So kind of those three things like local pain management, some taping from your rest of your medical team, and then maybe some sort of device or aid. Now, I look at injuries from, you know, a standpoint of a, a guy takes a, a shot off the foot. And, you know, you can hobble through it, play through it, go through what a grade would look like for that. Because obviously with a, a fracture or a break in your foot, sometimes you can still play off of it. What would have to be so bad that a guy misses time and cannot skate? Because I know they're always talking about you don't take the skate off till the end of the game because the foot will swell. And obviously you got to wait for swelling to go down afterwards to put it back on. But what would keep a guy, I guess, off the ice for a long period of time? when it comes to a break, because we watch all kinds of guys yeah. take shot blocks off the foot and go on the bench and just start like screaming into their gloves. And then the next shift they're out there laughing and smiling. So there's gotta be some sort of way to, to, to tell us how, how a guy can deal with that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, with a broken foot, the nice thing about hockey is that that foot is like immobilized in the boot. As much as you're doing a lot of skating, it's not like the cutting and shifting of other sports and thin little things the way, um, like football players have to. And so most part, if a guy has a broken toe or midfoot sort of bone, um, 
it's simple enough to just put the boot on, get some pain management, and they can still do a nice functional stride. The the shot blocks that catch guys right above the skate boot on the ankle are the ones that are really hard to play through because you're putting all your weight through that bone. Um, So those ones are the ones where you hear about guys being out. I think Eric Johnson's the most latest. I'm a West Coast guy, so I remember Horvath's. Um, last year so the one where it just gets above the skate boot that's the tough one where it's tough to play through and then you can't wait there and then if you move up and you think about like hands and fingers and things like that like Tavares I think scored a goal right and then missed four weeks with a broken finger a couple years ago so like there is a component where again you can still play through that broken finger I've been in lots of instances where we've we've had it with guys where they like hey I got hit with a puck I finished the game they have a small little break it's not surgical or anything as long as you have good functionality of that area, then you can go through it. But once you get into slightly bigger bones, you get up into the wrist, then it's like you can't stick handle, you can't pass, you can't go into battle, can't do face-offs, you can't play, right? So I think it comes down to if there's some support from equipment and then how much actual weight and force goes through that bone. Great. I got I got sort of a off-the-rails question for you here. Phil Kessel is an absolute specimen and i can't understand how this guy never gets injured is there some and he, he we all know he drinks coke he doesn't have the greatest diet like are you able to explain any of that like it doesn't make any sense to you that this guy just has the longest iron man streak and doesn't get injured like i know he doesn't he, he won't go into the corners he's maybe not the toughest guy but it still doesn't make sense to me No, it doesn't. And I don't even know if we fully have the understanding because, you know, some guys just pull their groin all the time, right? Like we see bullies. You guys saw with Mrazek last year, like just couldn't get over these muscular strains. I mean, a component of it is like uh, an investment in your off season and off ice time and strengthening and making sure you're doing good recovery. But all of that is honestly just playing the odds, right? So as much as Phil Kessel doesn't look like much of a specimen, there's probably luck as the largest factor that he's made. Genetics probably. Yeah. And and maybe there's just something else there that we don't fully know yet as to why he's fine, but I can't give a firm blank. This is what you should do because then we'd see every pro athlete pretty much built the exact same way. Listen, it's multiple hot dogs and Coke return. Listen, Look at was it? Um, he's a cancer survivor too. Like he you know, is, he is. Right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Maybe that. Maybe that's that's the last time he was out too. Maybe there was something yeah. in those uh, meds he got to get over that that uh, maybe. kicked maybe. him into it. Who was drinking a coke on the the bench the other night beside Patterson? Oh, he's Mango. Yeah. yeah, he's eating a banana yeah. and, and drinking a coke. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, funny enough, actually, you know, there's even like Australian basketball leagues and stuff. They have like big buckets of like those sour. Uh, sour uh, keys and like sour gummies and sour worms and stuff like in theory you can crush a bunch of sugar during the game i've heard that's good for you though like to eat it before or like before a workout to have like some sort of sugar in your bloodstream or or in your before you work out is that that's a i thought that was a myth no it's like a direct source of energy it's not like you're gonna notice a big objective difference um but yeah, I mean, all of our muscles do fire off glucose. If any of you guys remember even your high school biology. So there, there is some source of energy you are giving yourself. If you want to think about it on the simplest level, kids get sugar high for a reason, right? That's a good point. Yeah. 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 So, so what would you say then if someone's doing keto? Because obviously there's no sugar involved in that. Is that a bad way to do it? Because obviously people working out on keto, I could say that I tried it and I've never mm-hmm. been so exhausted in my entire life. 
Yeah, I don't know. Keto is a tough one. I think there is some that's nice to it in the sense that you kind of eliminate a lot of carbohydrates, which can cause, you know, diabetes and some excess carb. We probably all consume too many carbohydrates on this side of the world, but uh, it's not very good for your cholesterol if you follow keto diet. Um, and I would say it's probably got a little bit more evidence for weight loss than it does necessarily for energizing or making you a, an elite athlete per se. Yeah, no, I, I can attest to the tiredness part of it. And I'm no elite athlete, so I don't have to worry about that side of things. Um, obviously, I want to drill down on some injuries. And we want to talk to you, obviously, about the Canucks a little bit, too, because I see the jerseys behind you. Obviously, before we started, you grabbed the Patterson, the Nasland. So we will talk about some Canucks with you as well. Um, there's a goaltender with the Maple Leafs right now, Matt Murray. It seems like they have one each year right now that battles some sort of uh, injuries. Matt Murray seems to have a lot of them all wrapped up in one. Right now, it's the ankle. Uh, they said two weeks. We were just talking about taking pucks off soft spots. What would you think with Matt Murray would be the ankle issue? And it seems like for whatever it is, he is on the ice, but they're taking their time kind of rebuilding his movements and really trying to get him, I don't know if stable is the right word, but figuring him out. What would you say about that ankle injury and, you know, from your perspective on it? I uh, I really like the Leafs medical staff just from an outsider's perspective. Like, I don't know anyone personally. And I obviously don't see a lot of it because it's behind the scenes. But I do think they're very forward thinking. I think they do a really good job of determining how much stress these guys' bodies take. And then when I think someone's injured, it's not just like your standard rehab. Okay, you feel fine. Okay, you feel 75%. Well, we kind of need you because Samsonov's not really there. And we're playing Boston. You know, there there isn't that. Like, I do like the long-term view that they take with injuries over in Toronto. And so I think it's really good. I think that not only do they try to treat the injury, they try to work on getting to the root cause. Plus, I think they take a really, I mean, reserved might be not the right word, but I, I just think they take like the the almost appropriate textbook way that you should progress through an injury and kind of go through, okay. We're just in the initial stages. Let's just get your pain under control, get the swelling down. Okay, you, you feel pretty good. They probably start doing some off-ice work. And then it's like, oh, you feel better? Okay, let's get you on the ice alone, right? So with Murray, it's like, let's just get you doing some goalie movement, right? Because we saw that. Then he started taking some easy shots. And then they, like, integrate them into practice. And then they come back. So I think I think that's, like, the textbook way you're taught. And I think the Leafs try to do that as best they can. Whereas, like, I think sometimes with other teams we see, like, Players missing for three months, practices once, comes back the next night, and then is back on the shelf. Um, I know it hasn't necessarily worked perfectly. Like, guys have bounced back and forth from being injured, healthy, injured again. But I think they're at least trying their best um, to put players into good positions to succeed and then stay healthy when they're back. That makes a, that makes a lot of sense. I and mean, I just look at Matt Murray. We all want to see him succeed, all the things he's gone through personally. So he has a pretty good record this season. Uh, you want to see him come back. I just, for whatever reason, think the Leafs are probably going to Freddie Anderson him and keep him out until the end where they can use that cap space and probably flip a couple of guys to bring him back. You know, that's the thing. And I, and I wonder, you know, where they are taking the cautious approach. It could very easily be said, well, this is the reason why we're doing it. Like you just said, working it forward, making sure that everything's done right and that he doesn't come back too soon and just re-injure himself again. Uh, and like – there's probably a reason to be a little bit extra cautious considering his history. I know some of them are like bad luck injuries. Like at the world cup, I think he just like broke a bone in his hand, like on a, just a plain old save. Um, 
So a little bit's been unlucky for him, but he has been good when he's been playing. And so I think they want him there at 100%. And then, you know, this is where like everything comes together. Like when you talk about working as a team, I'm sure Dubas and Keith are like, we're pretty much stuck where we are. Yeah. Um, we're not catching Boston. We're not falling out into the wild card. Like we can afford maybe to drop a few points here and there, but let's just make sure that when games matter most, that he's as healthy as he can be, right? Yeah. Spe- speaking of uh, catching Boston, Tampa Bay loses tonight, but um, uh, I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on um, the whole Jake Muzzin situation and like the, the severity of his injury. If you're you're up to date with it, I know they just released um, that he's going to be out until next year. Um, are you able to give us your insight on that? Yeah, it's one I've tried to dig into. I think, and you guys can correct me probably better since I'm not a full-blown Leafs fan, but mm. uh, I think he got hurt in the bubble first, right? Pierre-Luc Dubois kind of cross-checked him from behind, right? Yeah, and, and then he uh, uh, fell awkwardly into the player's right. leg, driving the neck and shoulder. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's where it all started. And I mean, those type of things, you always think about things like disc herniation, and you hear those terms sometimes, and and stuff like that. And so... You know, we've never heard about him having surgery. He has played some games. He obviously took a, a high hit this year um, and was out. And I initially thought this was more like concussion brain stuff, but the Leafs have been forefront saying cervical net spine, which is your neck uh, in plain, plain English. And, um, you know, the only thing I guess I'm kind of not sure about is, is uh, if it is like something like a disc herniation that can be long-term, like we saw with Jack Eichel. Right, yep. which caused the whole fiasco of Buffalo. Uh, you know, I thought maybe there'd be a report coming out that he might be pursuing surgery or that he's going to look into something else, but they didn't have that second half to it. So I, I do sometimes wonder if maybe there's a, a concussion component to this ongoing as well. Um, but it's tough. Like, I, 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 unfortunately, he's done for the season. I think there's probably doubts over his career as well. Um, and, and we'll see, like, will we hear about him having surgery and whether he does what Jack Eichel did and goes with disc replacement and is healthy for next year, or does he do what is the old procedure? And again, to put it in plain English, you have bone, which stacks on top and between those bones, you have discs. And when those discs bulge out, they push on your nerves and spinal cord causing like numbness, tingling and pain. And so the classic thing was you always just rip the disc out and you fuse the two bones together. So got rid of the pain, but thing or the sorry the nice thing was it got rid of the pain and the numbness and tingling that people might have but it obviously reduces your range of motion um in your neck and so that's like for example what crystal tang had um and so it's like if he chooses to undergo either procedure in theory he should be ready for the start of next season if we don't hear about a procedure and he's not back next year i do wonder if there's more to it than the neck um and if this is sort of uh michael furlan chris pronger you know that sort of area of things Another thing I'm wondering too, we all remember when Sidney Crosby was hurt and was out for what, almost a couple of years, it seemed like off Mm -hmm. and on. And it was a whiplash effect and they didn't know what it was and they didn't diagnose it right. And we all remember seeing Crosby in that chair that moved to, to, to realign things and do different things. Could this be another thing where we're talking about that could be something I know advancements have come a long way since that Crosby injury, but again, it's still maybe hard to tell exactly what it is with him that's a great that's actually a really good point they they might not know right like the 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 diagnosis might still be undefined at this time so it is quite possible i'm sure he's at every scan i'm sure he's seen multiple specialists probably in canada and the united states um so yeah it, it could be 
you know, uh, a, a situation where the diagnosis isn't clear or if there's a couple of things at play. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's all, it's all sort of up, up for, for possibilities. With concussion issues and things like that, would that preclude him from being able to have a surgery uh, where they're worried about anything, you know, neurological or anything like that? Would that kind of halt that until that goes away until that clears itself up or it, would that matter at all? Yeah, good question. Um, it could be a factor, but I do think if they've got like objective, like MRI findings of like, look at this, look at this bulging disc sticking out and Muzzin's like, yeah, like my, my left hand is going numb. Um, yeah. And I do think that they would operate on it just because if you leave it for too long, you can sort of not get full recur recovery of that nerve function. So it might be a situation where they would still act on it if that's what's going on. And then, um, you know, then, then once that's taken care of, then you kind of focus back on the brain and see how he's doing from a concussion standpoint. Again, that's all, that's all speculate. I do yeah. a lot of speculating on, on Twitter. Right. And I try to keep it sort of kosher with everybody. Cause obviously these are real people with real medical problems and you know, mm -hmm. real lives. I try to keep that in, in mind, obviously, even though they get, you know, they're famous and all that. So honestly, everybody's obviously just hoping for the best for him, whether or not he's playing again. Um, but yeah, it could be a situation where there's lots, lots of different things at play. Um, and if this were the case, I think they would still go ahead with surgery. Another question that I have with, uh, with another Maple Leaf player is Austin Matthews. Um, his wrist has been a thing that has bothered him, plagued him for a couple of seasons. And they talked about going in, I think it was last summer, cleaning it up. Um, what do they mean when they say going in and cleaning it up? Is it bone fragments? Is it realigning things? Is it rebreaking it, resetting it? Uh, is it all of those things, or is it? Can it be just as simple as uh, maybe just opening up to relieve pressure off something? Yeah, great question. Actually, that is that is a really good question because we hear about that a lot for knees and other areas. Um, basically, they would go in there if there's like wear and tear, so things like arthritis, they might shave the bones a little bit, right? If that's the case, to sort of make them look quote unquote normal. Um, if there's loose bodies, so sometimes there's like loose little fragments of other soft tissue or bone floating around in there, they'll, they'll take those out. Um, but it's usually not much repairing per se. It's mostly actually seeing what's in there that's torn and sort of just taking away loose stuff that's not going to heal on its own. Um, that would be the more of the cleanup procedures. And that's where we see like the shorter timelines, like the four week, six week kind of surgical ones. It's when guys get like tendons repaired um or ligaments repaired etc where you see those longer timelines um so so if it's a cleanup thing it's probably like some loose soft tissue or bone floating around in there and then maybe some shaving of things but nothing too aggressive like rebreaking or sort of realigning things wouldn't really dive into that they would try to basically restore it back to what it was before the wear and tear took place so when you start shaving things down on a wrist and then getting back to using said wrist for firing 60 goals into a net does that wear and tear happen again faster? As we know, like when you do things, sometimes it does reoccur quicker as you do it more and more times. Or is it just it cleans it up and that usually should take care of the issue? Because you do hear guys going and get things done, maybe the same knee or the same wrist multiple times throughout their career. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, it it sort of depends. It could be a situation where you get it cleaned up once and you don't have to go back. I, I'm sure if you asked Austin Matthews and he was fully truthful, he would say it's not 100%, but it's better than it was. And I think that's sort of how it is. And players just sort of ride out their careers after that. And it does sort of recur. 
Um, but there can be guys where it just doesn't go well, and then they keep trying multiple procedures. I think that's more often with knees, like Taylor Hall, I think had to kind of go a couple times in there, but it, it never really gets back. Like sometimes they're last ditch efforts. And if you talk to surgeons, they don't necessarily like going back into areas. So um, it, it's hard to predict. Like if we focus on Austin Matthews and his wrist, I, it wouldn't surprise me if the rest of his career, he never went for any procedures and his numbers were great. But if you ever talk to him at the end of it, he'll say, you know, my wrist was was never 100 percent and it, it slowly declined as my career progressed. But like I just sort of went through it. Now, when it comes to to older players, I'm going to ask you about a player like Mark Giordano. Um, the guy just again, we talk about Phil Kessel, but Giordano is a specimen, takes care of himself, does the right healthy eating, but he eats a lot of pucks and there's a lot of bumps and bruises. And we all talk about the glory days of hockey, you know, when guys are laying there with the ice packs after a playoff game. You know, you get the victory, but you're beaten and battered and bruised. Um, I'm wondering for you, what when you take a shot block off of a sensitive area, you know, it can limit you from doing a lot of things. What is in the medical field that would allow for a player to get back out and have full range of motion after taking a block shot like that? I know Giordano says I think he gets in the ice bath between periods um, and does all kinds of like different things before the next period starts just to keep himself rolling and going as he calls the engine um but is there things that guys can have done to not only limit the pain but also take down either swelling or things like that where a shot block would occur because i'm i'm assuming that when you get hit with a puck in certain areas it does doesn't feel nice and also leaves a nice tattoo as well yeah i mean as like even though nothing's broken per se it's still gonna hurt you're gonna get a lot of bruising and things you know what? There's some standard things that just are still there. Icing is a great one. Um, you probably have seen sometimes, I think more in soccer, where they have like that freezing spray. Um, so I'm sure there's some of that that goes on. And then oddly enough, like just keeping moving, right? So anyone who's done like a Charlie horse, I'd say, it usually gets worse like after the game when you've just sort of let your legs stagnate. So um, you know what? Keeping loose, keeping moving works well. And then also it kind of comes down to the to the player themselves. You know, some guys hate ice, some guys love ice, some guys love more heat, and you can put some heat on the area. Some guys like staying loose. Some guys do want to just take a Tylenol or Advil, and, like, that's appropriate as well. Um, So those are sort of your modalities to keep a guy going in the middle of the game. Then afterward, obviously, these guys invest a lot of time. They do a good cool down afterwards. They get their uh, therapist working on them, and then um, they'll go through the same thing probably the next morning, right, even if they're playing back-to-back or if they have a day off. Um, and then it just, yeah, it comes down to basically investing time into your body, which as a professional is a lot easier because you have, uh, professionals hired to your team to help you, you know, yeah. access the massage and everything. And for the, uh, average Joe playing beer league, I mean, it's on you to sort of take some meds, put some ice on the area and keep it loose as you progress through the week. The, the other question I want to ask you, you just hit on it right there on a back to back. We all talk about, you know, all oh, there should be no excuses professional athletes you know even if it's a back-to-back with severe travel these guys should be able to get it done um do we maybe read too little into that and how tired guys could be and how much of a toll you just talked about guys taking the proper time to you know re-up re-heal do the things they need to do to get their body back to a1 i mean if you're playing just say one night in montreal and then flying to go play just say in calgary and then getting down you know two three in the morning 
hitting the ice again for your morning skate, et cetera, et cetera. You're not giving your body that reset time. Mm-hmm. So as fans, we expect them to go 100 miles an hour every single game. That's just the way we're all wired. We want mm-hmm. our team to win. Yeah. But should there be more credence taken to those situations as a fan and maybe as a casual observer that, hey, maybe there should be you know a little uh, leniency if a team has a bad game on the second half of back-to-back with travel? Yeah, I mean, the Leafs went and lost in Chicago, right, on that back-to-back. I think that's like a good example to work through because they played at home and then they had to hop on a flight to Chicago. So they changed time zones. So I actually think the most underrated thing that teams don't think about is sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think they try to tell these guys to sleep on a plane. But like, so the game finishes, what, like 9.30 Eastern time. They probably hopped on that plane at like, I'm not sure, 11 o'clock, let's say, best case scenario. Maybe 11.30, they fly out of Pearson. Or maybe they fly out of the downtown airport. I'm not sure. But whatever, fly out of Pearson. And then it's probably, I don't know, hour and a half, two hours to Chicago. Um, And then so you get an hour, which is nice, traveling west. But still, you're there at like 1 or 2 in the morning. Probably another hour from the point you land to the point you get to your hotel. I don't even know when they do customs. That's the other thing for Canadian teams. So I think the sleep is the most underrated thing that people don't talk about when it comes to -to back-to-backs. I think if you get a back-to-back at home without travel, it's a way bigger difference than back-to-back with travel, especially if it's cross across time zones, because that recovery is completely, completely messed up. I've gotten into like some small debates with people on Twitter because they say they're wired, they can't sleep anyways. But um, I think it's a I think it's a really underrated thing. And I do think more teams after the last game on a road trip should spend the night in that city and fly out the next day at like 11 a.m. or 10 a.m. So that their athletes actually get full sleep instead of like the whatever hour. Because sometimes like a West Coast team will finish a road trip out east, right? Last game, they'll fly all night back. Like, I don't think that four or five hour flight in the middle of the night makes any sense, but. I mean, that's that, that, that's their choice. Of all I'm so happy you brought that up. Sleep is so important. And to that, I have to say that my host over here, James, does not get enough of it. Preach how much important sleep is. Like it's I, if I don't get my seven or eight hours, I'm just cranky the whole day. So I can't imagine being a leaf going on that that travel to Chicago, playing two hours behind and getting what, four, three, four hours of sleep, playing a game. It's it's not easy. So yeah, like you said, sleep is very important. No, it's it's the most underrated thing. I mean, guys like LeBron, LeBron sleeps like 10 hours or something like that. So I honestly wow. think it is the most under underutilized tool that teams yeah. can use um to get a performance edge. Some of it you can't control, right? Back to backs with travel on the road, like if the Leafs are playing like Florida and Tampa, it's like you gotta kind of pick a poison. Like do you spend the night in Tampa, fly out to Florida in the morning? Or do you fly, you know, that one hour thing at night? It's kind of tough. And I think I think from hearing the small little bits from players that I've read, they they all say they can't sleep at night. So they I guess that's why they choose to fly at night. But yeah, they all they all are up late and then morning skates always before noon. I, I know they take pregame naps, but I don't know if that is enough to compensate versus just a nice flat eight hours at night. Man, a nice flat eight hours. What's that? I'm I'm used to like three or four <laughs> hours. Sleep, James. Day. I don't, I don't sleep very much. And oh. I'm one of those people that would argue with you that I, I pretty much am wired. Um, you know, I have dips and valleys through my day, but I also don't nap either. So um, I respect you, man. I did that in med school for a short period. I couldn't do it. I couldn't maintain it. I'd shut down on the weekend for so many hours. Well, what used to happen for me, I'll give you a little backstory. So for, for a while, I worked three jobs. 
And basically, I would go to work at my my normal job from 6 a.m. I'd get off. So weekends, I would drive for pizza. So so let's do a Friday. I'd start at 6 a.m., get off there at 3 p.m., start pizza at 4 p.m., get off at 3 a.m. So it was almost a 22-hour day before I put my yeah. head back down on a pillow. Then I'd be back up for seven because I have a young one at that oh, point. Man. So really, 22-hour day, three hours sleep. Then I would go back and do another 4 to 12 or 4 to 3 in the morning repeat the process all weekend. I did that for two years. And then oh, wow. I'd also help my wife do her wedding flowers on the Saturday. So just wow. I don't know. I don't think I could do it now, but that at that point in life, two years straight, it was 22 hour day on a Friday. Yeah. That was crazy, crazy, man. Crazy. Respect, but crazy. And you watch the Leafs games Saturday, hey? <laughs> oh yeah, of course. Of course. On the East Coast too. So it's yeah, the eight o'clock, hey? Oh. Yeah, oh, yeah I, I listen, I loved when we were in Ontario. Uh, when I because I was born there, so you know I born lived there to 2003. I love the earlier time frame. Um, yeah, coming out here, it's a little different, but it is what it is. Uh, but let's speak about your team behind you. There's a Marcus Naslin jersey. Not the best year in the world for the Vancouver Canucks, but what led you to pick the Canucks, and what do you think the Canucks need to do to right the ship and keep a guy interested in being there in one Elias Pettersson? And let, let us know your thoughts on the, the coaching change as well. We'd like to oh, hear that. Okay. Well, um, Canucks fan, easy enough. I grew up in a small town, northern BC, called Prince George, which if you're a junior hockey yep. fan, the Cougars, Zdeno Chara, uh, to be honest, they're not very successful. But Zdeno Chara, Dan Hamuse, Eric Brewer, a few defensemen, bit of a defenseman factory. Uh, so you're in BC. So you, you have cable TV, you get Canucks games on weekdays, and then you get Hockey Night Canada on the weekend. So it's kind of easy to be a Canucks fan. And then... What do they do to right the ship? Uh, I'm pretty big on the rebuild component of things. I mean, but I'm using a lot of hindsight. Like, I think if you had talked to me in April after Boudreaux came, I was like, okay, maybe this team's not that bad. Like, maybe keeping JT Miller isn't the worst idea. I didn't like the extension, but I was like, you can keep him as your own rental in a sense and see how the season goes. And if it's not going well, you send him out at the deadline. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, the unfortunate thing is that like this blend of guys doesn't work like I think on paper it's not bad and I'm speaking to the hardcore Canuck fans here but like if you look in like the late 90s they had Messier, McGillney, Burry, Naslin, Bertuzzi um, all on that same team and they were horrible they drafted the Sedins because they were so horrible right like they had such yeah. a high pick because of that and so sometimes I think you can look at the names on this team and you can be like man it's not bad on paper especially mm -hmm. the forward group the defense looks horrible. Everyone knew the defense looked horrible. But you were like, they're going to score a lot of goals and they have Demko. Like, you know, they should be somewhere in the middle of the pack in the West. Um, so I think it's just a blend of group that, or sorry, a blend of guys that just doesn't work. And sometimes you have to accept that that's just not the way it's going to be. And so, I, you know, there's these rumors out there. They might be able to get out of the JT Miller contract. Like, I would trade that for future considerations, which means nothing. Wow. Consideration that, like, yeah. I would just because I don't think it's going to age well. Um, and you have Elias Patterson, you have cap space to potentially go out and get uh, a two C, but also you draft someone and you develop them. Like this draft is really deep. You already have potentially another sec, uh, a second first round pick with the Islanders, depending how their year goes. Um, and, and you start over with basically Patterson Hughes and then up to you if you want to keep Demko or not. And then in terms of the coaching change, I do think Boudreaux got a raw deal. He's been really good in the regular season. And I'm a believer that playoff success is sometimes more luck than coaching. I know he carried that label that he wasn't a good playoff coach.
but like was very good in Washington. I thought that was a group that was unlucky come playoff time. And then I thought he was very good in Anaheim. Again, same thing, played against really good Chicago and L.A. teams. Like, they were just sort of stuck around two mini dynasties. And then he was I thought he was good in Minnesota as well. And same thing, they couldn't really get past Chicago. So, And he was good, like, even with how bad this season was. I think he has, like, a 500 or maybe slightly above 500 record with the Canucks. So, I think he got a raw deal. I'm not a big believer in Rick Tockett. His record's not really too great. I think he's cut from that old cloth. And I don't think today's athlete is interested in the guy who um, – so what I'm looking for, maybe plays more mind games, you know, kind of your Mike Keenan, John Tortorella. Like, I don't think those guys need yeah. in today's game. Right. Um, not so I'm not a big fan. I also just don't like the nepotism of hockey. Like I would have been really happy if they went and found some guy out of college or junior or even Europe. Like I'm so shocked that like, and this is all top mad, like 30% of the league is European players, but like there's zero European head coaches. Like I like to think there's one, person on the other side of the Atlantic that's probably pretty good um you know that can make a difference yep um and so I would have loved some creativity like John Cooper was a creative hire for Tampa I think he's been great and uh, I think instead of recycling the same guys it would have been cool to see them go and try someone else because I thought like Alvin was kind of outside of the box for a GM even though I know he's a Pittsburgh guy and basically Pittsburgh East came over here (laughs) to try to do something um but I don't know. I mean, if you if you really dive right into it, people think ownership medals a bit too much and that they're always trying to get to the playoffs every year and that everybody else has identified that sometimes you have to tear it down, suck to come back uh, and they're not letting them. So maybe it'll never change. They'll just be stuck in this team who's top five in salary and then top five in the draft lottery as well, which is like the worst place to be in the NHL. Trust me, as Leaf fans, we know that oh too well until yeah. the scorched earth happened. It was the same rinse and repeat every year. The Leafs would go on a run at the worst possible time, miss the playoffs by a few points, get a bad kind of draft pick, not pick high. So I know what that's like. Um, yeah. I got to ask, Bo Horvat, you're talking about JT Miller. You'd love to see him out the door for future considerations. I do believe he has not He has no no-trade clause up until July 1st, I think it is. Yeah. So yeah. once that window closes, then you're stuck with JT Miller. So... I want to ask, you know, Bull Horvat goes out the door to the New York Islanders. Was that a gut punch to Vancouver Canuck fans? Because I think keeping Bull Horvat would have been the smarter move over JT Miller myself. Yeah, I'm in full agreement with you. I think he's uh, he's kind of cut from that cloth of guys who I feel like just find a way to win. Um, as weird as that sounds, like, like he's almost like ROR. Like he reminds me of Ryan O'Reilly. Like he's a guy who digs in deep and – He's been really good in the playoffs for the Canucks. He scored that nice goal in the bubble that everyone saw. But even his first year when the Canucks got lost in the first round to Calgary, like he was very good in that playoff series. And so he, he's good when the games matter most. He's also your captain, leader. I think he's a good guy to like create a good culture. Like if you are starting over, I think he's good to have as your veteran guy. And I also think that if they didn't slight him in the summer by signing JT, they probably get him at a good number and they probably get him for less term than yeah. what the Isles just paid. So if you instead are like, hey, our captain should be our priority, not this guy, even though it kind of bugged me that they kept calling him the best player on the team, which when Pedersen has clearly shown this year that he is the best player on the team. Yes. And and so they did, they did it wrong. I would have kept Horvat. I think Horvat 
for another five years probably would have been okay before he declined. And he might be good for another like five years in the, in, in the Islanders too. Not this season's numbers, but like his last couple seasons numbers. So I think he would have been the right guy to keep. I think you move on from JT Miller. I think you hope in that JT Miller trade. Again, it's all hypotheticals that you would have got a defenseman and then maybe a pick. And then you see how the season goes. And again, if this season still goes the same way, then it's like, okay, I would have liked if they sold Kuzmenko. Like, I think he would have gotten a good return because yep. he's a little bit older for the window as well. And you just get a few young guys, and then Pedersen and Horvat one, two down the middle is a nice place to start, right? But it is what it is. I mean, Miller, I guess they're going to try to make him a 2C, even though he's he's not going to be a 2C. Listen, listen, there's still a guy you can draft this year that can change everything. Oh, oh I, I can see where he's from, you know, sitting here. Yeah, Bedard, Bedard, hopefully. Could you imagine getting Connor Bedard? That solves so many issues for whatever franchise gets him. But this, this is supposed to be one of the deepest drafts in a very, very long time. So... I mean, no matter where you're picking from, you'll probably get a position player with some strength to it that'll be in your lineup, if not the first year and the first couple of years. Uh, I want to ask you from an outsider's perspective, we're diehard Leaf fans. Obviously, we look at it with a lot of rose-colored glasses. This iteration of the Maple Leafs, do you believe they may finally have a little bit of mix with Ryan O'Reilly and Noel Shari now, the opportunity to take that next step and finally give us what we've been waiting for, a playoff victory. I, I've been a believer, like, but immediately uh, after that Capitals oh, series. Because that was a really good Washington team that they yeah. pushed, right? Um, so I was like, man, this team's ready. Like, I thought they were going to win the Cup. Forget win around. I thought they'd win the Cup. And to be honest, I, I do hate the whole notion that they didn't win around. Like, they played Tampa the hardest out of anybody in the East. Like, you could argue that Toronto was the second best team. Like, I will argue. I will argue Toronto was the second best team in the East last year. So, Love that. Um, I, I mean, the warm and fuzzies right now. The only thing that sucks is how good Boston is. And I can't even wrap my head around how good Boston is. Because, like, again, I look at that roster on paper and, like, it's good. I just don't think it's, like, a full head ahead of everybody else in this league good. But that's what the results show. Like, you can't argue with that. So, it's unfortunate that Boston and like the with this divisional format like if it was the 1v8 that we're not talking about this whole first round yeah. issue um but i i do really believe in them even even without the additions honestly like let's just say for whatever reason nothing worked out and they just went with this leafs team um i i really like this team like sure their defense could be a bit better sure they can maybe get like one more guy who can score because a guy like kerfoot or someone you know is gonna like have one point in seven games you know like unfortunately one of these guys probably isn't gonna have a great series but um, I really like the Leafs team. I'm I'm big. I like I like everything the Leafs do. I like um, I like how they they built their team right. They tore it right to the ground. Um, I like how they think outside the box. Um, I like their hires. I like the culture. Um, I think they're creative with the salary cap. Um, like I, I I root for the Leafs. Um, and and I think I think they I think they get past the first round. But then I think they lose to Boston, unfortunately. But if they beat Boston. I think it would be like them in Carolina again in the East final. It, it's not an easy what that? What was that? O two, O two, right? That was O two when it was Alex McGillney giving the puck away, just passed it as a muffin, and it ended in OT right there because he said, "quote I was tired." Mm. 
but they were losing to Detroit anyways, right? Like they were probably losing to Detroit anyway. You know what? You, the, uh, you, we can say that, but you never know, right? You it's never know. A game with a, a frozen puck on ice. So yeah. bounces could go any which way. But I appreciate that answer because nine times out of ten when we ask somebody that question, it's uh, no, they're not going to no, do it. Screw the Leafs. Yeah. But you know what? It's Leafs hate because every time you turn on SportsCenter, it starts with the Leafs, right? That's Completely just understand the hate, yes. What about my team, right? Yeah. You know, but it's like you look at the network executives, they got bills to pay. The Leafs are the most popular team in the country. Doesn't well, help that fans come and fill up your barn too, right? Like you have yeah, all these they annoying fans that yeah. just yeah. Yeah. It's like Elliot Friedman says the Leafs always take up the most oxygen in the room, right? Because there's always so many different stories and everybody wants to know what's going on. But I I'll be with you. I think you could give it the same amount of air to everyone and it'd be perfect. I think it would be awesome. Uh, there's so many different ways so to consume media. No one has to be first. Like, what are you going to do? Like, just be like, guys, today Winnipeg's first. Everyone's like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my God. You, you know what? That's Maybe that's the way you do it. There's seven days in a week, and there's seven Canadian teams. Mm-hmm. Lead off each day with a different team. Yeah. Kick yeah, it off. It's possible. Way. I don't know. The Bell executives will probably show us data that their ratings drop right off after the lease segment's done. <laughs> it might yeah. be so. It might be so. Well, I want to thank you very much. Uh, for taking the time tonight, jumping on with us, talking some injury talk. I know we are going to be picking your brain throughout the stretch run here when the Leafs put guys on IR to uh, to make some moves to bring either Murray back. Or in the playoffs, we're going to uh, probably be picking your brain when we see like a, a vital moment when maybe someone gets hurt. Hey, is this guy? Should this guy be out at this time, or is he injecting himself with uh, whatever it is that? get him through the playoffs. So yeah, we're, we're definitely going to be asking you a few questions in the playoffs here. Yeah. I'll be there on Twitter. I'll be there. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Where, where can we find you on Twitter? Just my name. My Twitter handle is easy. Just uh, my first name, Herjaz, and then an underscore gray wall. I will make sure to tag it in the, uh, the show description. So everybody can go follow you and stay up to date on all the different news and things that you're covering and your perspective on it. Obviously, like you said, these guys do have lives and you know, it's just your perspective on it, but, You've gotten things right, and I like the way that you talk about it. So it got me excited to have you on. So, again, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Make sure you go check out this man on Twitter. But, ladies and gentlemen, this is Offside Hockey Talk, where the Maple Leafs and hockey come to talk. 